0: good today. I'm excited about Christmas this year for a lot of reasons. I'm back in the log cabin I grew up in. I'm going to buy it from my dad and he's building on the property. Um, So we're doing a little Walton's Mountain thing up in the Mitchells. And um, so it's kind of neat doing Christmas a little bit different this year. And that's the title of my sermon today, A Different Kind of Christmas. And I'll tell you what I mean by that in a few minutes. But I want to give you a chance to do what we do um, before we hear a word from God and that is get our hearts right. It's really dangerous to hear from God um, and ignore it. (laughs) It's really dangerous for God to be pulling at your heart and tugging at your life a little bit and for you to miss it. Um, You become desensitized if you're not careful. And so one of the things that I'm really trying hard to do around here is make sure that uh, we're ready when God's going to speak into our lives. So um, whatever you brought in, whatever you got going on in your life right now, um, and I know it's a lot, I'm looking around, I see it, Um, especially with Christmas coming and Every, every Christmas, and, and I know this, this will make you feel a little weird because I know you think it's just you, but every Christmas, every year, families, butt heads. Just happens. So if you just went, wait a minute, it's not just me? No, it's not just you. And I know that it, that it sounds funny to say that, but it is just true that every year at Christmas, families, butt heads. We're going to talk about it a little bit today. Um, but whatever you're going through, if it's that, um, if it's uh, something else, then I want to give you a chance to get some perspective on it today. Um, and as we um, get a word from God today, just want to get your heart quiet. Um, as I hugged you today and shook hands today, saw some pain, saw some uh, um, just some just some pain, I guess. And, you I want to give you a chance to take that to God today um, as we go to him today. Um, here's what we're going to do, just going to get quiet. And if you've never prayed before, we've got people listening online and even people in the room who've never prayed before, um, or if, you've, if when you've prayed you just kind of made up the little now I lay me down to sleep prayers, um, what God really wants most from you is just to quiet your heart. So whatever that means for you, I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. Give you about 30, 45 seconds to kind of quiet your life and your heart, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in today. God, we pause to uh, get our hearts right in the midst of lives that are busy and it, it, it's not intentional but our priorities just get messed up. We put the wrong thing first. I venture to say that everyone in this space today has done that this week and we come in here with a Kind of a messed up view of reality, of what's most important and what matters most. So anxieties are high, frustrations are high. We pray that right now you would calm our hearts. In fact, that maybe even for the first time there would be people in the room today who would, who would understand this thing, this God thing, the Jesus following thing as a real life thing. Something that impacts the way we live pray your blessings over what i'm about to say that you would change our hearts that you would move us not to frustration or to confusion but to clarity to change we'll keep worshiping the little baby who changed everything in your son's name amen so um, I, I called this sermon a different kind of Christmas, and I don't want to get you confused. I know there, there's, there's weird Christmases out there. You know, There's, there's Christmases where, where people just do it so differently that it becomes weird. When I was in college, I went home with a friend. Um, and Yeah, for instance, you've seen stuff like this on Facebook, people who are just doing weird things with Christmas. That's a Christmas card from somebody, um, a guy wearing moose ears and just kind of, I don't really know what that is. You're going to get some weird Christmas cards. You're going to get some weird stuff. When I was in college, I went home with a friend, um, and I actually went to my house for Christmas. Christmas, but he he his family was doing Christmas a couple weeks early, and so I thought it would be fun to go to his house and they said they had a present for me, and so I thought that'd be worth it. So we went to I went to their house and we got around the Christmas tree and everything was just different. You know, it was just like you know, you get used to your traditions, and I realized that they just do everything different. They sang a little song at a weird time, and it was a weird song I'd never heard, and it was sort of just everything was just strange. And at one point we sat around the Christmas tree, and I thought, okay, now it's you know, I see the presents. This feels like home. This feels like Christmas and finally she said oh wait a minute we can't do Christmas without Jeremy and Bruce I thought okay well Jeremy and Bruce where where are they here she goes I'll go get them I thought well why does she need to go get Jeremy and Bruce so we sat there for a little bit pretty soon two of the ugliest dogs I've ever seen in my life dressed in ugly human Christmas sweaters that she had cut out little things for, came down and set, and they were the point of Christmas. They were Christmas. It was like when your kids are, are, are just like Kinsey, a little tiny, and they're, they're just getting to the point where they can realize Christmas is all about them. Well, Christmas was all about these two weird little dogs for me. And I, I remember leaving thinking, I am so glad I get to go to my house for Christmas, <laughs> because that was just weird. And I'm not talking about, when I talk about a different kind of Christmas, I'm not talking about a weird Christmas, I'm not talking about changing your traditions. But uh, all of us have, have sort of fallen into a pattern when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to the holidays, where we, we get pretty excited, we spend more money than we should, and we, if you're like us, we say every year about this time of year around Thanksgiving, we're not doing it this year. I am not spending that kind of money this year. The kids get two gifts. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right, you know what I mean, because you get in, you get into the stores, the music's playing, there's things going, and well, but he's got to have that, and it's 25% off, yeah, yeah, it's 25% off, they marked it up 30%, and then marked it down 25%, Kohl's, that's what they do, and then when you walk out, you spent $600, and they told you you saved $9,000, right, you know, because they, and then they give you another 40 bucks to spend, so you have to come back, and it has to be by next Friday, they totally have you worked, and they have me work. And if we're not careful, we just fall into this thing at Christmas. And the most dangerous part about that kind of Christmas is that we completely miss the point. And it happens to all of us. I don't care how close you are to Jesus. I don't care how, how careful you are at Christmas. This happens to us because we live in a culture who is obsessed with the stuff of Christmas. And I'm wondering this year if you'd look at a little different thing. When it comes to Christmas. Maybe it would mean a little bit of a different a change. Maybe it mean adding a tradition to your, what happens around the Christmas tree. If it's weird dogs dressed in weird human Christmas sweaters, then that's okay. But maybe add something. Maybe, maybe in the next few weeks you can talk with your spouse or talk with your family and decide we're going to do something a, a little bit different this year. Something to remind us of what we're doing. Something to remind us of the, what's important. And I want to talk to you today about something that Jesus did After he came, um, you know, was born in a manger, went through all of that scene, which we're going to dig into next week again. Um, But he he did some things that sort of changed everything (laughs) when it came to to people and their relationships. And if we could remember just a little bit of what he's done, it will change us too. And and at Christmas time every year, this is what happens to me, and I think it happens to you too. And and we kind of we kind of play on it here at the church is that it just becomes easier this time of year to do good, doesn't it? it just, like this time of year, don't you just want to do good things? You wanna, I've got friends that, that serve at the soup kitchen. You know, When I was a kid, um, Salvation Army did their, their Thanksgiving and Christmas groceries, and my family would go, and we would hand out those, and it just felt good. We, my kids this year, we went to the dollar store, and for 20 bucks filled um, shoe boxes so full that Reese was jumping up and down on it to close it to send kids across the world that we don't even know. And it is fun and it is exciting. And there's something about Christmas and about doing good for people that at this time of year just becomes easier. I hope it is for you. But there's one group of people that it becomes harder to do good for at Christmas. It's hard to do good for someone who hurt you. And at Christmas it gets harder. Like, am I going to buy my sister-in-law a gift after what she said on Facebook? Am I really going to give him that after the way he treated me? It's hard to do good for someone who hurt you. It's hard to do good for someone who reminds you of someone who hurt you. I've got a friend right now um, who's at odds with his brother. um, And they haven't spoken really for about three years. And his brother has three adorable kids who have fallen in love with their uncle. And they love him desperately, and they think about him, and they talk about him. And he is so disconnected from his brother that he is also disconnected from his nieces and nephews. And just the, the thought of them and the sight of them and the, the feeling of maybe buying them a Christmas present makes him mad because he doesn't want to do anything that might make something good for his brother. And so innocent people get in the way. It's happening all over our area at Christmas. Innocent family members who are caught in the crossfire. Because even if they remind you of someone who has hurt you, it's hard to do good. It's even hard when someone represents someone who hurt you. Boy, that's apropos right now with, with racism in our culture, right? All it takes is one person who has a little different skin color to do something bad in your life. One person who has a little bit of an accent, one person who maybe doesn't think the way you do or worship the way you do, that does something that hurts you or hurts somebody around you, and everyone who looks like them or talks like them starts to represent that awful thing, and it becomes hard to do good for them. You don't have to even nod your head. I know that one is close to home. So Jesus dealt with the same tension. And here's what I think about Christmas. It would be a different kind of Christmas this year. See, it's, it's, it's the same kind of Christmas to just do good for people who love you and to, to, to the people that are taking care of you kind of take care of them. But Jesus had the exact same tension that we'd have when it comes to the way we feel at Christmas. He had the same tension, and how he dealt with it defined what he expected from people who followed Jesus. At Christmas every year, I see this happen. Um, You know that Christian bookstores, their best, really, the only reason Christian bookstores are open is because of Thanksgiving through January. Right after Christmas, all the stuff goes on sale, and people buy all the, the Christian bookstore stuff again, and then that propels them through the year. They almost die about September or October, and then Christmas season brings them up because Christian people especially love to buy Jesus things. They love to buy little fish, and they love to buy little crosses, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But the problem is, it's replacing following Jesus for Christian people. It's replacing actually doing the things that Jesus talked about at Christmas. And so it feels like if I put a sign up on my house, and I put a manger in my front yard, that that makes me follower of Jesus. But it is not. It's only a symbol. Jesus did some things that if we were to follow at this Christmas would make your season different. So I want to start right after the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard this before. Jesus speaks in this big mountain, and he talks to a whole bunch of people. And I've had this experience before where, and it's happened even here, where I'll, I'll talk and I'll just feel like, oh my gosh, people are connecting today. It's not really happening right now. But sometimes it happens. Um, but people are connecting, and I get tears, and I see smiles, and, it, and I just I feel... I mean I've never never really done any hard drugs never any soft drugs whatever that means but but I feel a high, like, uh, oh my gosh, I'm being used for something, and it's big, and it's bigger than me, and Jesus had to have felt that way. He he talked about things like loving your enemies, and he talked about going the extra mile, and he talked about the kingdom of God, and people started gathering around him, and they started saying things while he was preaching, which I don't get much here, um, but people would talk while he's preaching, and they, man, this guy talks different. He speaks different. He speaks as one who has authority, like he is. he's not just a preacher, he is also preacher not quite human and he's not quite us here come the kids right now if, if you don't know this is kids life and uh, they they worship back here and they do some worship together and then they split up and uh, some kids go upstairs and some kids stay back here so um, man they're so quiet good kids he must have threatened them um, so Jesus gets done speaking and it just gets it gets crazy with with like rock star status for Jesus I mean, like he gets an entourage of people, and and the scripture says that that, that many followed him. That could be thousands, it could be hundreds, it could be 10,000 people following Jesus. They follow him down, and and he says these amazing things. This is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He says these amazing things, best sermon ever preached. And at the end, then, he does this cool thing where he says, and by the way, all these things I've told you, you get no credit for hearing them. You get no credit for just listening to this, or if you're if you're a, in this culture, you get no credit for listening and going, boy, I need to send that sermon to my grandson. <laughs> you know, you get no credit for saying, mmm, boy, that moved me, or that. You get no credit for being emotionally moved. What you get, Jesus says, you only get something out of this. When you do something. And so he ends his sermon with this scripture about sand and about building your house on a rock or building your house on sand. And people are like, well, if I, so if, and he says, if you don't do what I'm talking about, it's like you're building your house on sand. If you just listen to it, it, when the rains come and the storms come in your life, then that's when the house falls. And he has this amazing sermon, and this amazing experience, and people are following him, and it really is like a rock concert. Jesus walks down the mountain, and then it just gets better. He walks down, and he runs into this man who is a leper, and at this point in history, I mean, this is like the scariest thing for people. when it, It's like cancer or worse for us, because the thing about leprosy is you could see it right on people, and you knew that if, if I touched them, and there was some really strange theories about what would happen if I even breathed the same air they're breathing and those kinds of things. So lepers were outcasts, and they were the lowest of the low, and they were the poorest of the poor. And Jesus walks down the mountain, and right after he says, don't just talk about this stuff, do it, a man who has leprosy is right in front of him. Look at this, Matthew 8 says this, when Jesus had come down from the mountainside, this is right after he preaches, so it's like me preaching, people come forward, we have this great day, and then this thing happens immediately. Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. If you can, just picture this, would you? A man with leprosy comes and kneels before him. Now what happens with a man with leprosy is a big circle opens up because nobody wants to be close. So this big circle opens up and a man with leprosy, gross looking, falls in front of Jesus. And everybody wonders, what's Jesus going to do? Because Talking is great, but is Jesus really going to do what he just said right up there? Can you imagine walking with Jesus and seeing this happen? I'm always scared when I talk about parenting in a sermon that I'm going to walk out of this and go into the lobby and my son's going to have a meltdown, and I'm going to have to do what I just said, you know? This is Jesus going, all right, I I've just told you, now I'm going to show you. And the circle opens up, and Jesus steps in. The man kneels before Jesus and he says, by the way, this is another sermon, but he has perfect faith. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, we mistake faith. We say this, I believe I'll be okay. I believe I'll be okay. I believe I'll be okay. I'll believe okay. That's not faith. Faith is saying, I believe you can take care of my situation and I hope, I pray that you will. But even if you don't, it's not because you can't. It, it's, you've got something better. This is perfect faith. This is a man who looks at Jesus and says, I believe that you can. The question is, will you? And, man, Jesus has just a knack for this. I mean, he has an absolute knack for this. He has got people around him, and it's like cheering, and then all of a sudden everything gets silent. And Jesus just says the perfect thing. He walks in, this guy says, I believe you can. If you're willing. And Jesus reached out his hand to the man. And he said, I am willing. And everybody goes, ah. The crowds, what just happened? You know, you can't even see. Some people can't even see. Jesus just healed a leper. What? Yeah, there he goes. He's walking right now. You can see it on him. It's going away. Jesus healed that man. Be clean. Immediately he was cleaned with leprosy. People, crowds gathering everywhere. Ah. I, didn't, I knew what he said, and I knew it was different, but now I know that what he said is true because he can fix people. And if he can fix that guy, maybe he can fix me. Let's go. And they keep following Jesus, and there is this ball rolling, and the disciples are so happy. You know, when, when it, you get to entourage level, like the disciples were with a celebrity, you just want it to keep going. You're, just, you're trying to figure out how to get the publicity right. You want to get the brand right. And I think the disciples were brand managers with Jesus. If you know what brand managers is, it's, it's somebody who looks at, at a celebrity and says, how can we manage your brand? How can we manage your name? And when people think of you, what would they, man, there's nothing better than Jesus speaking in front of a group, big group of people and then finding a poor man and fixing him. Because then now everybody's going to follow and everybody's excited about Jesus. And then the point of our message today happened. Because it all feels so good up until this point. All these people are following Jesus, and he keeps walking. And he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. And another man stops Jesus. This time, he's not a poor man. He doesn't have leprosy. This time, a man, as Jesus entered Capernaum, this is in Matthew chapter 8, a centurion came asking for help. Now, in order to get this, you, you have to understand what a centurion was. This is a soldier, this is a Roman guard or a Roman captain, or sort of a a leader of the Roman army, whose job has been taking Jesus's people, Jews. People that like Jesus' family, Jesus himself, and the people that are gathered around Jesus. Poor hurting, even Gentile people who weren't Jewish but who were the poorest of the community. His job is to go into their communities, to rape, to pillage, to get money from them, to push the Roman religion, to push the Roman rules on them by any means necessary. This was the very personification of evil to these people. Now standing in front of Jesus, saying, would you help me? Let me tell you how bad this was. This man represented a man named Pompey. Pompey um, got so frustrated with the Jews because he couldn't understand what who God was, and they, they kept not wanting to to obey the Roman government when it came to religion. And so he he decided, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go in and find out what they're doing. And so if you know much about Jewish history history, you know that the that um, that where the the Jews worship the temple. Was, it was sacred, it was an incredibly sacred holy place in fact, priests were only allowed to, to, only priests were allowed to go into the to the, the back area which was called the Holy of Holies a- and very, very few people even saw it there was a curtain blocked off, and everything in the place was was clean and religious and very ceremonial and This man named Pompey decided he was tired of the Jews, so he took his horse, he rode up the stairs to the temple, and he went into the temple with his horse through the curtain, and started killing all the priests and anyone he could find with a sword. And his army went into the Holy of Holies, cut open the curtain, looking for their God, and destroyed their temple. This centurion represented this man. In fact... He also represented the governor of Judea, who is Pontius Pilate. And if you know the story of Jesus' crucifixion, you know that Pontius Pilate is the one represented that said Jesus is going to be crucified. In fact, Pontius Pilate is the one who created the crucifixion as as a, a, a rule for disobedient people so that you could be crucified in front of all of the people who might disobey Rome and they could see what would happen to them. And it was Pontius Pilate who this man represented. So when these people saw this centurion in front of Jesus, asking Jesus for help, one of their own, a Jew for help, they were so excited to get retribution. They were so excited for what Jesus might say to this man. In fact, man, you could probably come up with a lot of good one-liners. What if somebody from an eastern country. I don't want to get political today, but what if somebody came who didn't look like you, who didn't worship the way you worshiped, and stood at Jesus' feet and said, would you help? These people were so mad at this centurion. They were so ready. In fact, I believe that it, in many cases that he would have just been destroyed by this crowd. They were so frenzied and so excited about Jesus. Had Jesus said, hey, call a medic, dude. You need help. Go find somebody else. This crowd probably would have killed this man right there in front of Jesus. He says, Lord, which everyone around would have gone, pff, 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 Lord. We know who his Lord is. It's Pontius Pilate. It's the one killing and raping all of our women and children around. He said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed. Now, in order to have a servant, you have to have, have authority you have to have authority in a way that is pretty gross at this point in history so when he says my servant all of the people around including jesus knows exactly what he means this is somebody that i own this is somebody that is property to me in fact luke when he tells this story he he adds a little word he says my valuable servant lays at home because luke knew what this meant meant he meant my property lays at home and it's going to hurt me if he dies because he's so valuable so the people around Jesus just get madder my servant lies at home paralyzed and then he uses a word that is just mean he says suffering terribly you just want Jesus to say you want to hear about suffering you want to you want to talk about suffering Jesus could have said, my mom and dad had to flee because of your leader who was killing all the little babies looking for me. You want to talk about suffering? You go call somebody else to help you. Now, you've been here. Somebody in your life messed you over so bad and now they need your help. Oh. Right? You've had a centurion walk up to you and ask for help more than once. So people are all waiting on Jesus. And when Jesus took his next step, he changed the game. With his next step, he did something that was so polarizing that it got him killed. And it also set a standard for you and I at Christmas. It gave us no more excuses for the people who have hurt us in our life. He did something that was so amazing that people at that moment walked away. They were so mad at Jesus. And and I realize today as I'm preaching this that this is going to happen to me today. Not not that I'm Jesus, but when I say this today, some of you are going to say, that's not not me, I'm not doing that. And you're going to walk away from following Jesus. Jesus wants to just know, this is what following me means. Here's what he did next. Jesus said to him, can you imagine how quiet when Jesus stepped forward? Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? He looks down at the man, and he helps him. In the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, in the midst of something different, Jesus sets a standard for following him. That changed everything. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said it this way. And you've got to know if, if you're Jesus, you're standing here in front of this man and you know what you've just said on the mountain and you know what you're, you're saying in, in Luke chapter 6. Here's what he says. If you, if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good for those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to get repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expect to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. How do you know if you're close to God? How do you know if you're a child of God? You love those who hurt you. How do you know? How do you know if you're right with God? You look at the very people who have broken you, and you love them anyway. Not based on their behavior, but based on the fact that one, when you were behaving poorly, loved you. He says you're a child of God. It reminds me, I used this illustration a few weeks ago, it reminds me when Reese hangs around here with me, my son Reese. I've come and and before the service, he always does this. I've never asked him to do it. He just wants to. When I come around and hug on you and shake hands and everything, he just follows me. And many of you say the same thing every time. Ah, He's a little John. He's doing what John's doing. If you want to be a children, you want to be a child of God? You want to be a little God? You want to be a little Jesus? This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, you're not surprised at me saying that today. And you're not going to be surprised that my next question is, so who is the centurion in your life at Christmas? That doesn't surprise you. You've been hearing me preach long enough that you knew I was going to say that. But what I know is that there is something deeper here. Because you can walk out of here and say, I'm going to be nicer to that person. But in that moment, there is a problem When it comes to serving them and here's the problem now listen to me if you've fallen asleep here because this is the twist When you think about jesus in the centurion you and I have a problem with this story We think we're jesus in this story We think when it comes to to the pain in our life, we've been victimized, we've been hurt. And when we see this story, we want to know who the centurion is in our life so we can be Jesus to them. But the truth is, what God says about you and I is that we're not Jesus, we're the centurion. We're the one who has been so far from God. We are the one in this story who is so deserving of God looking at us and saying, you're on your own, pal. You've made your own bed. But because we want to be victims... Because we want to look at this story and be the ones who have been taken advantage of and be the ones who get revenge, we get to be the bigger people if we're Jesus. But what Jesus wants you to know this morning and what will change your Christmas is if you can realize that you and I are the centurion in this story. We are the ones who deserve nothing from our Heavenly Father, but whom he has looked on us and said, should I go to your house today? Should I bring you hope and peace and joy even though you have walked away from me? The reason we find it so hard to do good for those who have hurt us is that we identify with Jesus in this story instead of the centurion. And we resist. We will always resist doing good for those who harm us Until we begin to see the centurion in the mirror. Until we begin to realize that we have fallen far from God. That we don't deserve the grace He has given us. And His, our grace in response to His is a reflection of His grace to us. When you do for others in spite of what God has, in spite of their behavior... When you do for others in spite of the way they've treated you, it's a reflection of the way God has treated you. And this is what makes you children of God. I'm going to take a deep breath there because, man, this is hard. Singing Christmas carols doesn't make me a child of God? Nope. Buying Christmas presents for the people who love me in my life doesn't make me a child? Nope. You mean a Jesus is the reason for the season sign right out in front of my yard doesn't make me a Jesus follower? Nope. You mean i got to actively seek out those who have harmed me? Yeah, that's what following Jesus is. Now, I I, want to be clear this morning. I've thought about this a long time, and I want to be really clear that I don't lead you down a wrong path. This doesn't mean that you have to trust these people again. I doubt that Jesus went to this centurion and then developed a relationship with him. <laughs> I, I doubt that Jesus had a, a deep re-engagement with this man. And, and you may not have to re-engage those family members or those friends or those people who have harmed you, but what could you do for them? What act of goodness could you do for them this Christmas? Here's what I prayed for you. Those of you who are members of this church or who have been around here for a long time, you're on the hook. <laughs> I had two weeks, two weeks of not preaching to pray for you. I prayed the first week in, in, in Florida. On, I play, prayed on the beach in my flip-flops. It was awesome. And I started praying for you, and I've been in really big churches before this one, and I would pray for the body, and I would pray for, but in this church, I can pray for you. I know your name. I know what you're dealing with. And I did. I had time. I prayed for each and every one of you that I know well is going through some things. Now, there's some of you I don't know very well, and I didn't pray for you by name, but I prayed for those big blanket prayers that I know God knows. And here's what I prayed for you. This sermon is what God led me to, to say, this is what God wants from you this Christmas. You want peace at Christmas? It's not the presents. You know that anyway, right? It's not how much money you put on your credit card that's going to bring you peace. It's not the turkey, it's not the ham, it's not the food, although, man, that's good. What brings you peace is being a child of God, following Jesus differently. So what I prayed, that was what, what I prayed the first week. The second week, I knew I was going to be praying for this. So this last week, while I wasn't preaching, I was praying that God would in you, and this is what I mean by you're on the hook, that God would, during this sermon and between now and Christmas, would not let you miss the centurion in your life. That he would, that you would run into him at Walmart. That they would mysteriously show up in your driveway needing something or that they would mysteriously make a phone call, that somehow you would make connection because this is what it takes for you to follow Jesus, to actively pursue those who have harmed you to find the good you can do to them. Now, man, a lot of you are saying, if you only knew my situation. The truth is, I do know some of them, but I'm kind of glad that I don't because I might agree with you. Oh, yeah, you're exempt. (laughs) Like, if if some of you stood up on this stage and said, let me tell you my story, I would probably go, all right, let me uh, regather and I'll preach again next week and we'll just kind of, because I get it. But no one's exempt. There's no excuse. So today, you already know, you've already thought about the centurion in your midst. In fact, at the beginning of the sermon, you thought about them, and you put yourself in Jesus' shoes in the story. What am I going to do? The question is, do you have the guts, do you have the self-awareness to realize that you were the centurion first? That you had wronged God, and that he has every excuse not to do good on your behalf. We will never be gracious to the centurion in our midst until we recognize the centurion in the mirror. And when you do, you'll have a different kind of Christmas. band you guys can come up. I'm going to give you a chance this morning to, um, to kind of work this out in your brain. Y- you, you know the truth in this. You just need somebody to say it to you today. You need somebody to say... Yes, that feeling that you have that it's not okay to treat them like that just because they treated you like that, it's not okay. And if you're looking for a piece that's been missing, if you're looking for a a moment in your life where you can know what it really means to follow Jesus, this is it. Now, this is the hardest part of preaching for me, preaching the truth. I know I went two or three years. I was thinking about this one on my way here today. I used to get a sermon like this ready, and then I would soften it until I preached. And by the time I preached, it was real soft, and I'd just be, like, funny. And and then I'd kind of, you know, when it came time, I'd kind of hem-haw around until I got to kind of say something harsh or that needed to be said, and then I'd just soften it out. And I'm kind of at the point in my life now where I'm just going to say it. You take it or leave it. There's no softening this. This is following Jesus. So I'll give you a chance today. We're going to sing this song, and we got all these these. uh, I make fun of it every year, and I shouldn't. But we have all these songs that we sing at Christmas that there's words in it that we don't use outside of this room, and we, you know. But the the truth is, these songs represent something different in the world, a moment where Jesus came to give us our gift of hope and joy and heaven that you didn't deserve and I didn't deserve. I'm hoping you get this morning while we're singing these songs a chance to feel the grace that came from Jesus, from this little baby. We disney this thing, and next week, I do this every year. Next week, I'm gonna bring the little people nativity set, um, my kids' little nativity set that, that I bring every year to show how we cartoonize this thing. And we'll talk about what actually happened in Jerusalem, and Bethlehem during this time. But until then, I want to give you a chance to get your heart right. And during this song, if you would just pray, God, who is it in my life that I need to love and take care of and do good for, no matter how they behave? Would you stand with us and sing this morning?